to visit the village where his father's buried. On this trip, it was all talk. Business with young entrepreneurs, security and corruption with the president, and his hopes for a new African future. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Greece is poised for Troika talks as a shutdown of markets continues. Bullish wagers on China's Baidu surge ahead of the earnings report. And Asian futures point to more losses as gold to oil extends drops. A sell-off unfolded in Asia's stock markets on Friday, hit by a triple whammy of declines in offshore markets, a continued slump in commodities, and soft economic data from China. We'll discuss markets this morning with guest host Alex Wong of Ample Capital. Good morning, Alex. We'll also get uh, the latest on Greece with our international economics correspondent, uh, Barry Wood, in Washington, D.C. And after that, Gavin Parry of Parry International Trading talks to us about commodities. And finally, the Wall Street Journal's Anjani Trivedi gives us the lowdown on China's bond markets. Alex, why is it that markets were hit so badly at the close of last week? Well, first of all, um, last week we had a very soft uh Chinese data uh, from the PMI. So people are now starting to worry about um, the slowdown in China. And um, that actually had already impacted the um, commodities market a lot. So um, right now the theme is uh, the slowdown in China. I see. So Alex, do you think that uh, this is going to mean more or less state intervention, you know, in China's markets? Oh, I think uh, probably the, the intervention is uh, has has been done uh, a lot already, so uh, may not be too much more. I think I think the market sentiment has stabilized because the, the leveraging process had already been done a lot. But uh, I don't think that there would be too much upside given the concern on um, on the economic growth, and then the present level actually is not cheap. So um, probably we would see the Asia market stabilize uh, with a soft bias, but not much. But the X share probably would be hit. I think. Alex, traders are betting that Baidu will skirt a global sell-off in tech stocks and extend the biggest rally since October. Now, of course, this is amid speculation that its uh, investments in a group deal site bolstered second quarter revenue. Why is everyone so bullish on Baidu? Oh, this is a trend, actually. If you look at the uh, U.S. market, Internet stocks actually are very strong. Uh, We are seeing... Uh, declines in tech stocks like Apple, um, uh, uh, Microsoft, etc. But the uh, internet, actually Netflix, Amazon, uh, they are very strong and, and even Google, they, they, they rarely are a lot because people right now like internet uh, models uh, much more than tech stocks. So that's why Baidu also got some support from this sentiment, I think. 
All right, Alex. Well, Britain's Pearson is in talks to sell its 50% stake in The Economist to other shareholders of the weekly newspaper, with one Italy's Agnelli family confirming that it wants to increase its stake. Robert Kemp has more. The move comes on the heels of Pearson's sale of the Financial Times newspaper to Japanese media group Nikkei, announced this week as it focuses on its education business. As well as the Agnellis, the owners of The Economist include other European dynasties such as the Cadbury, Rothschild and Schroeder families. The co-owners of the weekly publication, which had a paid circulation of £1.6 million at the end of 2014 and reported £67 million in annual operating profit in June, have greater voting rights than Pearson which holds only B shares. Any change of ownership would need the consent of the holders of the A shares. It would also need to be approved by trustees who must preserve the independence of the ownership of the company and the editorial independence of the title. And staff economists at the Federal Reserve exp- uh, expect a quarter-point U.S. interest rate ri- increase this year. And this is according to forecasts uh, that the Fed mistakenly published on its website. Although an interest rate rise has been expected for some time, such a move could affect the Hong Kong property market. Robert Kemp has more. With Hong Kong dollar interest rates tracking those in the U.S. because of the currency peg, a rise in U.S. rates could mean higher mortgage costs here. This could hit flat prices, though calming measures brought in by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority over the past few years should prevent a repeat of the 1997 housing collapse. These have included Hong Kong home buyers having to put down huge deposits and detailed credit checks, which also anticipate interest rate rises. The U.S. rate forecast was included with a series of bearish projections on U.S. economic growth and inflation that were presented to policymakers at the June 16th to 17th meeting. The disclosure of the sensitive information is the latest blow to the Fed's reputation for secrecy around policy deliberations. Later on Friday evening, the Fed said the inadvertently released document was not the correct document. It provided a new table showing slightly lower outlooks for gross domestic product and inflation in 2015, as well as other revisions. The Fed said in the statement that the forecasts were inadvertently included in a computer file posted on its website on June the 29th. Fed officials said the disclosure was due to to procedural errors at a staff level and that the mistake was discovered on Tuesday this week. The forecasts do not represent the views of the central bankers who set interest rate policy. Let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is down seven-tenths of a percent this morning to 20,404. Australia's ASX 200 index is down three-tenths of a percent to 5,540. And Seoul's Kospi is also down half a percent to 2,035. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.09 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 123.74 yen and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and three cents and one US dollar and 55 cents. We have an announcement now from the Transport Department, which says uh, that due to a traffic accident, the fast lanes of Tunmun uh, Senwan bound uh, road near Tunmun Road bus bus interchange is closed to all traffic. The remaining lanes are still available to motorists. Well, trade ministers from 12 Pacific Rim nations head to Hawaii this week to tackle the tough decisions needed to finalize a trade deal that will free up global commerce and set common standards for nearly half of the world's economy. 
the trickiest issues have been left until the very end of the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations and range from market access to monopoly periods for medicines. Let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who joins us from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Alex. Barry, what are the issues being discussed at the TPP meeting? Ah, that's a tough one. Just as you said... Those um, questions about American pickup truck uh, duties, the Japanese allowing more food import, going after their domestic rice producers, but essentially it's all secret, and we won't know until uh, this thing is wrapped up. But you are right, Renita, to highlight the importance of this meeting, because this should do it. This should be the finale. This should put all things together for this rather impressive Trans-Pacific Partnership deal. I don't think I can be more specific because the negotiators, until they have finished, are not really revealing what these final offers and acceptances are. Barry, um, okay, we don't know what the final offers and acceptances are. I I take your point there. But what are some of the issues on the table? Uh, Is it not true that Australia, for example, wants to export sugar to the U.S. and that the U.S. is really pushing for Canada to open up its dairy markets? Well, that's certainly true. It is true that the sugar lobby here in the United States, particularly based in southern Florida, is exceedingly powerful. I have no indication that they are going to allow very many imports coming in from Australia. Australia has been after this change in the United States for decades. Now, on the question of dairy with Canada, it's very interesting that uh, American farmers, dairy farmers, whether it's cheese, milk, or other kinds of uh, dairy products, yogurts, Going into Canada, Canada has a very sophisticated uh, protectionist policy there. They don't talk about This gets almost no press in the States, but clearly you're right. The Americans want this, but I have no indication of whether the Canadians are going to cave on this. What about, uh, Barry, the fact that U.S. textile firms want Vietnam to stop flooding you know, the local markets with uh, cheap clothing made from Chinese cloth? Well, this is true. And uh, again, this will be very significant as to what uh, comes out. You've got a lot of trade lawyers in your listening audience. A lot of them focus on these very specific product categories and all of the WTO rules governing this kind of trade. I have not been aware that the Americans were seeking some kind of limitation on these Vietnamese imports. I don't doubt it, but I haven't heard of it. This is, again, when this comes out, it's likely to get almost no press in the States because summer vacations, trade is really not a big factor in the American media, and we're preoccupied on the editorial front with the Iran nuclear deal. But I think in the rest of the Pacific Basin, this is going to be huge. And this two-day meeting, and I think it's going to be a success, they wouldn't be having it otherwise, is really going to reveal what this what this new partnership is all about. Alex, what do you think? How significant is uh, the outcome of this TPP meeting for Asia as a whole? Well, for Asia, I think uh, probably we will see some locations which may, may, may become more important, and China probably would still be affected by this, I think, uh, negatively, I think.
All right. Barry, you know, reports were out on Sunday uh, that some members of Greece's leftist government wanted to raid central bank reserves and hack taxpayer accounts to, pay, to prepare, a return, pre- prepare a return to the drachma. What's yeah. all that about? Well, I, I think I can um, sum that up pretty quickly, Renita. Look, this is the left-wing faction of uh, the Syriza party. And, you know, you, you, you should have also mentioned that uh, they wanted to lock up the um, central bank governor. This has not been disputed. I mean, this apparently is all true. But I think it's been taken off the table. It's not going to happen. But it shows that that meeting in Brussels, the last one, was really critical. Brexit was definitely on the table. And the prime minister was very much aware that he either had to take the deal on offer or go back to the drachma. So I think this would have gained credence. My, my addendum to this, and Renita, is this. This Greek problem isn't over. The Greeks aren't going to be able to sustain these reforms or even implement them. But um, it's probably off the table for the next few weeks, maybe even a couple of months. My goodness. Is there any way, Barry, for Cyprus to actually control his unruly party, or is he going to sort of go off and start his own? No, I think he's in a stronger position, and he has disciplined uh, that left-wing faction already. And this is the interesting thing about that referendum. So he actually said, you know, don't accept the deal on offer from Brussels, and then he did this U-turn. But in political terms, domestically in Greece, he has a greatly strengthened position, and that is because of the referendum. So ironically, it seems to work in his favor. The problem he has, of course, he has to preside over these reforms if he wants to get the money on offer now from the Europeans. Mm. Now, Barry, Greek banks are set to keep broad cash controls in place for months until fresh money arrives from Europe and with it, as you say, sweeping restructuring. Now, will fixing the banks be added to Greece's debt mountain or will Greece and the Eurozone let uh, big depositors and bondholders shoulder losses? No, the banks are going to have to be recapitalized and that's going to be provided in money from the European Union. And after this initial European stabilization mechanism loan goes through in the next few days or weeks, then the International Monetary Fund is going to come back into the negotiations and there'll be, uh, you know, listeners are aware, this is essentially money going to the Greeks to repay overdue and in arrears loans. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really... Everything is back to where it was, say, six months ago. All right, Barry. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood. He is our international economics correspondent who joins us every Monday morning from Washington, D.C. Another announcement from the Transport Department. The fast lane of the Tunmun Road, Senwan bound near Tunmun bus interchange, which was closed due to traffic accidents, is now reopened to all traffic. Uh, also, due to a traffic accident, part of the lanes of the Kuntong Bypass, Kowloon Bay, bound near the Kaitak Fire Station, is closed to traffic. Well, commodities. Commodities dropped massive amounts last week. The price of gold plummeted to less than 1,100 U.S. dollars per ounce. 
It's uh, at its lowest level in five years. Platinum, silver and other precious metals dropped as well and copper slid to a six-year low on Friday. What does this spell for the foreseeable future? Let's bring in Parry International Trading's Managing Director, Gavin Parry. Good morning, Parry. Morning. Uh, gold dominated the world market scene last week, and it's currently valued at $1,095. Goldman Sachs predicted a further drop. Um, what do you think, and why has this happened? We watch the, the, the pressures and the, the quantity markets in relation to their impact for, uh, for the cash equity stock market, which is our focus. But if you, for us, it's, it's very much still a story of uh, deflationary pressure in, in the global economies. Um, I think that's really what it comes back down to. Um, obviously, you've got the inverse relationship between the US dollar and precious metals. But uh, the, under, the underlying aspect for us is still that um, you know, we're facing very much a, a deflationary situation. And this is only going to accentuate it with the, with the hard commodity uh, and some of these precious metal moves as well. And is it this that has sort of uh, created this domino effect with uh, other commodities, silver, platinum, precious metals? Well, I think you'll find that obviously these things tend to trade as a sector or a block. Um, it was interesting actually on Friday that the, the U.S. Commodity and Futures Trading Commission came out and indicated that uh, hedge funds, for example, in the U.S. have gone short for the first time in, in, in gold futures in New York. So you're also seeing a lot more bearish bets, obviously, on the oil side of things and, you know, Iran increasing supply and, and so forth is a factor of that. Um, you know, for us, I think it's, it, it's really more a factor of looking what the implications are for the financial markets um, in, in relation to the interest rates and the inflationary side of it. As I said, you know, if you, even if you look at, um, you know, our backyard here with, in China, you, you're facing a, a factory gate price that's still effectively accelerating in a deflationary situation where I think it was, it was basically around negative 4% for, for their PPI, <clears throat> pardon me, um, read for last month. Alex, what do you think? Well, I think uh, this is a relocation, relocations of uh, uh, capital say, in the world. Right now, um, people are, are thinking the world is dominated by knowledge economy. So um, that's why uh, internet stocks are very strong, while other stocks actually getting um, dumped. I think uh, commodities also lack uh, the growth prospects. And also the um, demand from China actually declined a lot because we had a very weak car market in China. So that, I think, had an impact on many metals uh, because of this. Gavin, you know, some analysts have been saying that uh, the looming rise in U.S. interest rates uh, for the first time in nearly a decade could be playing the villain. This commodity sell-off, though, what does it actually mean for Fed rates, if anything? Well, again, I think it it factors into looking at the dual mandate for a central bank, which is price stability or full employment. Yeah, the Federal Reserve has made it fairly fairly clear that they're not really looking at the employment side of things. It's very much the price stability side of it. And again, for us, it falls back into the case of, of looking at, at, at the debt situation. And um, obviously, an inflationary environment uh, helps um, um, discount debt so that the maturity has a higher degree of probability of rolling over. Where obviously, in a, in a deflationary environment, uh, particularly a pro- prolonged one, it, it actually increases the, the, the cost of relative payments. Um, and you can have a situation where uh, you know it's harder to basically roll over debt. And particularly given the amount of paper that's been issued, I think for us, it's you know if we have a rate rise, it'll be very token this year. But um, uh, you know we kind of hang a hat on Bernanke's comments last year at a two hundred and fifty thousand US dollar plate luncheon, where he said there will be no rate normalisation in our lifetime. And and again, it, I think it's a factor that we're, we're going to see rates lower for longer. And I don't think we're actually really going to see 
any kind of jacking up or or, or, um, or movement. So a lot of this a lot of this stuff with the US dollar is very much more a sentiment of front loading um, expectations for an interest rate differential. Um, and you know they're definitely moving. They will move back into a tightening cycle, but we don't really see it as anything that's that's going to be um, stark. And, and a lot of the investment banks and their notes are also indicating the same kind of thing. Whether it's pushing back expectations now, we're talking September, or we're talking December. You know, the Fed themselves always give themselves a get out of jail free card by saying it's data dependent. So for us, it's still very much a 2016 situation on, on, on interest rates. And Gavin, you know, uh, this morning, Asian futures are looking down. What are you expecting later today and into the week? Well, again, for us, it's, uh, it's still very much focused on the mainland. Um, I mean, obviously, more and more uh, names are being unlocked in relation to being out of trade. Um, you've, you, it's actually a good indication that they're going to go forward with the, the China Signal IPO here in Hong Kong. It's going to be obviously one of the biggest ones we've seen for quite a long time. But again, for us, it's all about sentiment out of the mainland. And even though there's been very much a nationalistic push, let's say, in relation to support um, and, and measures, we, we actually do think that there's a lot of calculations behind this. We saw comments of maybe an Operation Twist coming out. You know, the, uh, the Shanghai Securities Journal uh, did a poll on that last week and found that 50% of banks and brokers expect something like that. We actually still think that there is a high probability of a, an outright QE coming. Um, it's the, the debt and, and, and fixed income market, something they're definitely developing for the mainland and, and, and definitely skewing towards that way for, um, for uh, financing for these entities. And that's another aspect of IPO locking up. So for... For us, I, I, you know, we're, we're very positive still on the on the China story um, in relation to the commodities. In actual fact, they imported larger amounts of iron ore than they have in the past. And yes, there's a price decrease factor of that, but given the Silk Road funds and given the infrastructure and given the push for urbanisation, we only see the demand continuing. Um, and and so therefore, we're not we're not overly concerned on the on the uh, the slack on the on the base commodity side of things. All right, Gavin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Gavin Parry is the Managing Director at Parry International Trading here in Hong Kong. Alex, uh, what do you think about what uh, Gavin just said, Operation Twist or Outright QE in China? Oh, I think that uh, probably would be the last uh, last uh, resort of China. So uh, right now... Things look stabilized, so I think probably we need to see uh, some some very weak data to see that to happen. Because uh, if you go to that, and then if that doesn't help, then the, the situation would be very bad. So I think they would probably save it uh, in the meantime and and see how the data goes. I think. All right. Well, China's bond markets are open to foreigners, but with a value of six point four trillion U.S. dollars. Why is it that foreign investment makes up just 3%? Let's bring in the Wall Street Journal's Asia Foreign Exchange and Government Bonds reporter, Anjani Trivedi. Good morning, Anjani. Hi, Renita. How are you? Good. Great. Thank you for joining us on Money for Nothing. Anjani, can you let us know why the opening of the bond market is so important for China? I mean, one of the biggest things for China is that it's looking for, it's something that's been talked about, is the level of leverage and the level of debt in China, right? And historically, that's always been very bank loan focused, a lot of trust trust products and shadow banking and so on. And this is kind of a, one, a new source of, not only a new source of financing for many of China's companies and its governments, but also it, you know, it, it, it will... Make, it will make sure that the cost of funding in China and the cost of, you know, the cost of capital in China, it becomes, becomes more in line with the market rather than determined by, you know, 
the PBOC based on interest rates and so on. And so it's a very important step in the liberalization of the bond market, in the liberalization of just the market in China. But, you know, the issue remains that, you know, they're, they want people to come in, but people are not, you know, biting just yet because they, they aren't really sure, you know, they have to do their due diligence and they need to figure out exactly how this market works. Well, is it this volatility, this crazy volatility that we have seen in these last few week, weeks with the, um, you know, stock market route in China and then coming up and down? Has this actually impacted the way that foreigners think about the bond market? Um, I'm not sure. It's, it's it's a direct correlation in terms of, I think it casts further doubts over chi- the China story, really. But I'm not sure it directly impacts sentiment around the bond market. I think the bond market in itself has issues from, you know, it's very fragmented. There's three different bond markets. There's different regulators. So for people to navigate that, it becomes a challenge. And, you know, and, and the biggest issue so far has been just market access, really. And mm. that they're opening up, but people for so long have not had access to this market. They've not looked at this market. So when they open up in bits and pieces, you know, people are trying to figure out the lay of the land. It's not just, an, oh, you know, here it is. We're opening up our this bond market. You can invest in five years, ten years. I mean, there are a range of bonds from, you know, policy banknotes to financial bonds to all sorts of stuff. So what is it going to take then, Anjani, for uh, China to get these foreigners to foreign investors, I should say, to come in and buy bonds? I mean, there is interest, right? But I think there has to be a certain level of clarity on what you know, what 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 these what these bonds are. You know, where what what's backing them? They're going to have to simplify the process, of, and they're going to have to you know clear, clean up their market. Really, you know, it's it's parts of the bond. Some bonds don't trade. Some bonds trade a lot. You know, they need to be very clear on where this what's happening in this market for investors to actually to make the process of you know credit selection for investors easier. All right, Anjani, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Anjani Trivedi of the Wall Street Journal. Alex, how do you, how easy do you think it is for China to actually clean up its bond market? Oh no, I, I think it will not be too easy because, uh, like, like she had said, uh, this is a very fragmented market, and uh, and I think that it takes a long time to for for foreigners to to do to do their due diligence, and and also for China, I think that there are too many different types. Type, types of bonds are in the market right now. All right. So Asian futures are not looking good right now. What uh, are you expecting and what should we be looking out for in financial markets as we open up to I this think, week? I think uh, this week probably still China would be the focus, uh, but uh, Hong Kong probably would display um, the, the real um, perception of the market because um, uh, Asia right now is uh, sort of distorted. So uh, I think extra uh, in Hong Kong would be very important to watch. Uh, and Probably today would be key because uh, today we would see a break below the 25,000 in the Hang Seng Index. And if we see any acceleration of the decline, then I think uh, we, it would be quite bad because uh, sentiment towards China had been very bad in uh, in the outside market last week. And I think that probably would start to uh, impact Hong Kong. And we would need to see whether it can hold up today, I think. 
All right, Alex, thanks for joining us this morning. Alex Wong is the Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital and our regular Monday guest host. Closing numbers this morning, the Nikkei is down 1% to 20,332. Australia's ASX 200 index is down half a percent to 5,531. Seoul's Kospi is down a quarter of a percent to 2,040. Gold still currently valued at 1,090. $95.80 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $54.60. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora wrapping up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. It's time for the half hour news summary with Judd Boaz. The president of Taiwan says political progress on the mainland is unstable. Speaking in an interview, Ma Yingzhao said he was disappointed there had been no reliable progress towards democracy on the mainland. Beijing claims Taiwan as part of its sovereign territory and threatens to counter any move to outright independence by military force. President Ma said despite progress in economic relations between the mainland and Taiwan, the absence of democracy creates a psychological gap. But he says patience is required and stressed that Taiwan is committed to a peaceful solution. Since 2005, the military balance across the strait has been tilting in favour of mainland China. Every year, its military spending increases in double digits, or by nearly 20%. It would be difficult for us to engage in an arms race with the mainland. So our defence principle is as follows. We want to create a scenario in which neither side would change the status quo through unilateral or non-peaceful means for fear of the price it would have to pay. President Obama is in Ethiopia on the second leg of his African tour. It's the first visit to the country by a serving U.S. president, and he'll also be the first to address the 54-member African Union at its headquarters in Addis Ababa.